the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And I want you to put a circle around that because throughout this message and throughout your life, I want you to know that you're going to be tested to see how much trust you have in a sovereign God who's in control of everything that's happening in your life. He either prescribes it or he permits it. So it's what we call a test of trust. Now, why does God put these impossible situations into our life? That's a good question. I'd like to give you three reasons why I think. These are my reasons, but I think they're biblical, so that might help you. Why does God put us into an impossible situation? I believe it's to stretch our undeveloped faith. I believe that he tests us out there because if everything was going great and we were never really tested, we would never grow our faith. Our faith grows when God does something in our life to test us and we stretch toward that test to pass it. Our faith is now stretching and therefore our faith is now growing. So it's to test us and to strengthen our undeveloped faith. Now, if you will, maybe look up here. Let's say that our um, our faith is here. It's about uh, a foot away from my chest. And I'm going to say that our test now is six inches beyond that. So he tests us just enough so that we can reach out to that test. Now, if our faith is at the, is at the 12-inch mark, but our test is at the four-foot mark, we'd never be able to reach it. In fact, we probably would explode. That could be why in 1 Corinthians it says that he's not going to test us above what we're able to bear. So there is a test that we can bear. So we will have that test of trust. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to look at that problem or challenge you wrote down at the beginning of this message. And you're going to ask yourself, is this right now permitted by God to come into your life? And your answer should be yes. And is it now to test your trust in God? Because that's what he's doing here to Philip. It's a test to see if he's going to see if God's going to provide for him through Christ. Let's go a little bit further now. So it's a test of trust. What's the second? It's to strengthen our eternal hope. Sometimes in our tests that we have, we're not going to see this, but now our hope goes into, you know what? It is okay because greater things can happen. One of the ways I do this is sometimes I'm, um, I'm either at a cash register with someone and they're having problems or I'm talking to someone and at that moment, things are just not going right and they're very, very frustrated and I generally look at them and hopefully with a twinkle in my eye so they know that I'm saying this in love, I like to say this, you know, lucky we live Hawaii. Whatever we're going through right now, we could all be in Afghanistan right now, couldn't we? And you know what? I always get that same response back. (laughs) You're right. You know what's happened right then? It's put everything into perspective. And you know, there is hope. It's okay. Everything's going to work out all right. And in this case, God's still on the throne. The third one is to show us his incredible love. I love that because in order for the Lord to show us his love, he's got to allow a problem to come into our life 
then he's got to meet that need to show us how much he really loves us. So whatever you're going through right now, that challenge that you wrote down, I want you to know he's testing your faith at this point. It's a yardstick to determine how much further you have to go to strengthen and increase your faith. And he's doing it because, number one, he loves you unconditionally all the time. Let's go back to the passage again here. So he did this to, to test him. Now, verse 7 says, Philip answered him and said, there's 200 denarii worth of bread, and that's not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. I thought this was um, interesting because Jesus asks one question, and his question is, where are you going to buy this? And Philip doesn't even answer the question. He gives another completely different response. He just says, we don't have enough money to do this. The crowd is too big. Now, if you want to do a little bit of study, I got going over this denarii. There's about one denarii for a, is, a, is like a day of, of work. And there's 800 days based on the amount of time that's put in here in the passage. So I'm going to make this real quick. I figured out that it really boiled down to about $1 of food of what that's what Philip said we had to be able to do this. I thought, isn't that interesting? He answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is, sufficient, is not sufficient. We don't, we don't even have that. So if I put it back into our crowd here, here's how I, I computed it. I said, if we had fifteen to 20,000 people, we would need about $1 per person to feed them for one meal. $1. That's how much that 800 denarii would be. 200 denarii, $800. Uh, dollars. If I put all of that together in today's money, that would be about twelve, fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars $18,000. So then I got thinking, okay, let's say that 12 of you guys and gals will make you male, female, are apostles here. You're the disciples. And I called you up here and I said, look it out here along the poly. There's 15,000 people out there that need to be fed. How much money do you guys have? And so now you're digging in your pocket. How many of you all together, if I just did 12 of you, just 12 of you, whoever, I just handpicked you, who are oddly... If I put you 12 up here and I said, open up your wallets now, let's see how much money you have. Do you think that out of 12 people that I randomly pick that there would be close to twelve dollars to $15,000 in your pocket? Now remember, you can't use a credit card. It's got to be cash because they didn't have that in those days. You can't use a check. They didn't have that in those days. So, all you'd have, so what they're basically saying, we don't even have this money amongst the 12 of us to be able to provide for this. Now here's something else that's interesting. My computation would be about $1 per person in order to feed those amount of people. In the context, it wasn't that they would be provided with a meal. Here it is. This is, this is grace. Grace heaped upon grace. Jesus then provided food as much as they wanted. Can you imagine taking your kids to McDonald's and say, eat as much as you want? Could you do it for a buck? I know I couldn't. You put a pizza in front of me and I go nuts. You know, I love pizza. Enjoy pizza. Can't do it. There was so much food for 15,000 people that there was food left over. So I want you to know it's a yardstick. The lesson of the yardstick is whatever challenge you're going through is to stretch your faith. And I hope that you can meet that. Here's the second lesson. That's the lesson of the scales. Let's go back to the passage again. Picking it up here at verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? And Jesus said, have the people sat, sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. By the way, that tells me why I believe they were close to Passover again because it was in the uh, spring period of time. A lot of the grass was now growing. If you've ever been there in Israel, if you go in May and June, it's basically brown. Think of Diamond Head 
during the summer. It's brown. Think of Diamond Head in February. It's got a velvet green all over Diamond Head because of the winter range that we have here. So you want to think of the ground is now filled with grass, nice and comfortable at that period of time. So the men sat down a number about 5,000. Then took the loaves, given thanks, and he distributed them to those people. Now, if you will, think about this for a moment. This would be of the scales. Watch carefully. Philip looks at the crowd, and he sees how many people there are. They don't have a lot to feed that. Andrew looks at, oh, yeah, the crowd, but he looks at how much do they have here. Well, all we have are a few loaves and a few fish. How can we take care of that? So one looked at the size of the crowd, the big problem, the other looked at how little resources they had. Now, pretty much they both did the same, but basically it boils down to that. Now, when you think of bread, you may be thinking about a whole big loaf of bread, or maybe you think of one of those big Italian sleeves of bread that you might have. This was called a barley loaf. Barley was generally used as the poorest type of ingredient for the poorest people to make bread. They also believe it wasn't a loaf like we would have it. It was more almost the size of a silver dollar pancake might be rolled up, maybe a small hamburger bun. When they talked about the fish, it wasn't a huge ahi. When we were in Israel, we took a tour there with um, Charles Ryrie and Jimmy um, DeYoung and others. They would have what they call St. Peter's fish, which really wasn't. It was tilapia. I don't believe this was tilapia either. In fact, there was so much fish in the Sea of Galilee, but they're almost like finger, um, oh, I don't know, those small little sardines. And they used it more as a spread rather than roll it up like a hot dog. It was more like a spread. And I got thinking, you know, all these people came. They didn't know how long they were going to be. The other gospels say that it was already by evening. They didn't probably bring any food with them except one mother of this boy, like many of you mothers said, you got anything with you? You got any food with you? You're going camping, aren't you? You got anything with you? And there it is. He brings his food along. And now he's going to share it. So Jesus takes these small little loaves, like a hamburger, and a little bit of pasty fish, a couple of fish, and he now begins to divide it up, law of the scales. Too big a problem, too little resources. Maybe right now you're looking at the problem, too big a problem, too little resources. So what does this story teach you? I love it. Little is much when God is in it. Would you say that out loud with me? Little is much when God is in it. One more time. Little is much when God is in it. All right, so you see this in this passage of Scripture about how that God takes care of them. And I really love it because he always does. As you look over your life, you can see how wonderful he is. But if not, you can always look at David, took just a few stones. Look what God did. Gideon, a few men. Look what God did. God took the little excuses of Jeremiah who says, I'm, I'm too young. Or Moses says, I can't speak. And he took all the little that everybody had, their physical weaknesses and their lack of resources, and he says, when I'm in it, there is much. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know that the Lord is going to do what you think he's going to do, but I can tell you supernaturally he is. And the beauty of the Lord is this. When he chooses to do a miracle, he does it because he loves his people. I believe the Lord is so powerful that if he had to prove to him that he was God by a miracle, he could have taken the temple and just... What do they call it? Levitated? Like some of these magicians so-called. He could have flew through the air like Superman and then hovered over everybody, you know? He could have done that. But what does that do? It focuses on the spectacular, the magician part. But he didn't do that. He said, you have a need. I love you. I allowed that need to come into your life. Remember, 
I did it so that that need could be met in my timing, in my way. And I did it so that you would know that I'm God. And once you know that I'm God, I'm doing all of this so you would worship me and you would serve me. That's the kind of God we have. So what does he do? He reduces our resources while at the same time he magnifies our need. You might say, why would God do that? Because it's not about our lack of resources and the size of our need. What it's all about is that God wants to come into your life and make himself real to you in a very special way so he could reveal his lordship to you in your life. I hope that you keep that in mind because the Lord just operates that way and he has done that in my life. Most of you know that um, <clears throat> I tell the story every week, but i got to end this saga. You know, my car was stolen out of the parking lot here. And some of you are wondering, where is this thing standing? Obviously, it was involved in that big wreck that was on uh, Kalani Highway, and they caught the guys. One guy's name was Al Capone. Really, his name is Al Capone. His mother named him A-L-C-A-P-O-N-E, and his last name was Stanley, Al Capone Stanley. I thought, what mother names their kid Al Capone? But anyway, that's he's one of them. The point being, and by the way, since it's public, that's why I can use the name. <clears throat> uh, it's alleged still. He hasn't been convicted. Got to make sure that's clear. But now the insurance company said, okay, we looked at your car. Every part works on it except your body is falling apart. They smashed the windshield. All the outside is damaged. And so what we're going to do, we're going to total out your car. And so now they're going to give me the money, the blue book for it. And you know what? It's okay. God is on the throne. You know, I'm okay. The bus system works great. We have another car and Carol can walk. We're fine. You know, we're good. <laughs> but here's what's so beautiful about it. When I was going to Geico, and I'm not trying to sell them, this is my insurance company. When I went in to get ready to go through the final deal to get the check, they said, did you have any work done on your car recently? And I said, yeah. The church for my 60th birthday painted this thing. And they put the best paint job on it. It looks sharp. They said, okay, we're going to give you a couple extra hundred dollars for that. And they said, anything else? And I said, oh, yeah, brand new tires, brand new. No, I didn't go through all that because I didn't. <laughs> and then they said, you know what? You have one month that if you buy a new car in one month, we will give you another two or $3,000 more for your new car if you do that. Well, I, I don't have any money for a new car because we just, whatever we buy, we pay cash for it and that's it. But my point is simply this. Whatever the Lord puts, which was an unwelcome interruption, we do not have this other car that is most used with missionaries and people here who, ha who need our car. We loan that car. All that's gone. But I want you to know that we got more than what they initially said because God takes the little bit and he adds to it. And I still know this is not the end of the story. What happened here in the New Testament? Yeah, the New Testament has been finished being written, but the New Testament and Jesus still is alive. And if it was still being written, I believe with all my heart, you could be in this. God loves you that much. Well, let me go to the last lesson here because we need to close with this. And that is simply this, the lesson of the spreadsheet, the lesson of the spreadsheet. And that is that when you encounter a problem, whatever that problem might be, there can be an increase that God will add more to it. When you go back to this here, you're going to see how he took these loaves and the fishes and he had these guys lay down. You know where it says sit down? Actually, in the Greek, it meant to recline. I thought this was interesting. These folks anticipated Jesus is going to do a miracle here, but they had no idea that they would actually participate in the miracle. So here's these guys. They didn't just sit down, you know, Indian style. They reclined, which is that uh, 
old Eastern way to eat. You've seen, uh, you know, the Lord's Supper at some of those where they're all reclining. So we're all reclining. And when you recline, you're getting ready for a meal. So they're anticipating this now. Now they're participating in it. And I can only imagine the creator of the universe takes a fish that he knew would be born or whatever they fish get born, whatever, they come out. And so now he takes that fish and that little fish, he multiplies it. That little grain of that barley wheat was now turned into a loaf. And now it's divided up. And all these people are eating. And God can do that to you and to me. Well, as I bring this to a close, the one thing that struck me here, I have to commend these people in this area. While their faith was weak, look at the crowds, don't have a lot of food. Look at the crowds, they don't have any money. What they lacked in faith, they did not lack in obedience. When the Lord said, do this, they did it. When they took 15,000 people and divided them up in 50s and 100s, as the other Gospels say, they got ready for a meal. They did what the Lord told them to do. And here's what I'd like to say to you. Sometimes your faith is going to be weak because your challenge will be huge. But that does not mean that you back away from obeying the Lord anyway. Don't give up on God. What He tells you to do, whatever it might be, you do it when it feels right. You do it when it doesn't feel right. You do it until it does feel right because it is always right to do right. So you believe Him and then you obey Him to the very end. It closes down by a very interesting discussion here when it says, when they were all filled, the disciples gathered up the leftover fragments so nothing was lost. He had 12 baskets. Some people think the 12 baskets represent the 12 tribes of Israel. I don't. I think the 12 baskets represented each one of his disciples, the 12 disciples. And some of you might say, what about the one for Jesus? I think the disciples are probably going to then say, here, Jesus, have some of mine. We don't know that. That's speculation. I do think this that while he fed all of the people, he also took care of his servants and he made sure there was plenty of food. The baskets were filled full so that the next day and the day after that, his own disciples would be fed. And those of you that are anticipating going into ministry where God guides, God provides, sometimes you will live off the ministry, but always it'll be God who provides for you. So don't look to the ministry. Don't look to the people. Don't look to your supporters. You look to the Lord because... When you serve him, your needs will be met in him. But it'll be what he wants to give to you. In this case, it was bread, maybe some fish too. So you have to let God take care of your needs, however it might be. Well, the end of the story gets pretty interesting here because it says, therefore, when the people saw the sign, remember, they're all about the sign. They weren't about his sayings or about his miracles and not his message. When they saw what he did, they said, this truly is the prophet. He's the Messiah. He's the one that was prophesied to come by, by Moses and spoke about there in Deuteronomy. He's the one to come into the world. Well, notice verse 15. This is the key. So Jesus perceiving that, that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, why would he do that? Yeah, he's going to come as king, but not yet. He came as savior. Still Lord, but savior. It's because those people still were not looking to Jesus Christ as being Almighty God Himself who had a spiritual reason for Him being here. They looked to Him to provide, watch this, all the healing that He did. So they were looking to Him for all the medical needs. They looked to Him for all their food needs, whether it was water into wine, whether it was 
food like the bread and the fishes. They were looking forward that their physical needs would be met. In other words, they were saying, let's take this guy. He's king. He can do all this great stuff for us to take care of us medically and physically with food. In other words, let's set up a utopia welfare state. And Jesus says, no, I, I didn't come here for that. What I came here for, and later on, next week or so, we're going to talk about, I came here to be the bread of life for you so you could have eternal life. Oh, it's good to take care of people. And Jesus did heal and he did feed. So we do know he cares about the needs of people. We already covered that most of the message. What it was most about was that he would be Lord. And I hope that you understand that he is God. I hope that while you see God doing great things, that while you're so much needing that need that you wrote down, that challenge resolved, I pray that while you're looking to that, you want him to be the Lord of your problems, to take care of all of that in your life. Remember what Jesus Christ is still saying. Yeah, go ahead and ask me for healing. Go ahead and ask me for food. Go ahead and ask me for the things that you might have a need for. That's building a relationship. But he says this, why do you want me to do this for you? And you come to me to do this for you. But when I tell you to go share the gospel with someone, no, I, I really won't do that. But I, I want some food. I would like you to give and be generous in your giving. Uh, no, 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 I want a car, Lord. Uh, and so all of a sudden there's this tension between we want God to work for us rather than us to serve him. I, d I don't know where you might be, so I'm not here to put you on a guilt trip, but I am sensing that we might all ask ourselves before the Lord. Maybe the greatest lesson in the loaves that we could pick up is Jesus is the Lord. He will take care of my needs, but my response should be to look to him as the Lord who will meet every need spiritually in my life. And therefore now, I go to Him to serve Him, to bring glory and honor to Him. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like to give you a moment to be alone with the Lord. Our great lesson is how does Jesus work and who Jesus is. Well, we learned how He worked. He works in our life because He cares for us and He will meet our needs and be there for us. But who Jesus Christ is, as he is Lord. Now you have to understand that he is also Savior. And it's that Savior part of him where he went to the cross to pay your sin debt. And I pray that you realize that to go to heaven there's no amount of good deeds that you can do just like there's no amount of works you can do to have eternal life, spiritual or social. And that you would realize that Jesus Christ loves you just the way you are. And later on when it talks about partaking of the Lord, you're really trusting in him as the one who died and paid for your sins. So for a moment right now, do you realize that he's offering you free forgiveness? And if you'll trust him, you can have everlasting life. The alternative is to spend eternity separated from him. The blessing is to spend eternity with him. And what do you have to do? Go to the bread of life, Jesus Christ, and receive it. Jesus Christ could have certainly provided food for all those people, but how would it have been if those people came hungry and when the food was passed in front of them, they said, nah, that's not for me. I, I want to do something and I want to work for it. I'm going to go get it another way. I don't believe this is true. And they walked away. Not only would they not eat, they would have starved. And there are some of you that are at a point right now where Jesus Christ keeps coming to you week after week and message after message through the word of God telling you that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And he brings his bread of life to you, and yet you turn away. I pray that today you would receive it by faith alone. 
If you're doing that, I'd like to have a moment of prayer with you. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to have you come forward or stand up. But if maybe today in here you're saying, Lord, I know I've done things wrong, but I know that you're a great loving Father and that you went to the cross to pay for my sins and I'm trusting you, not by my works, but by my faith in you for that forgiveness. If you'd like me to pray for you with every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anyone here today that would like for me to pray for you? Because today is the day you're trusting Christ as your Savior. Would you put up your hand real quick if today's the day? Hey, Christians, how many of you are facing now this challenge? Would you remember the, the lesson of the yard stick? Maybe the Lord's testing your faith. Would you remember the lesson of the scales? Little is much when God is in it. So focus on the Christ in your life, not the crisis in your life. And maybe the lesson of the spreadsheet. And if the Lord does want to increase you, it may be your faith. Maybe some other areas. But I know that he is a God of grace, heaped upon grace. Would you worship him? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you did take care of all those people at their moment of need. We thank you that, Father, that you are the bread of life and we look forward to learning more about you, how that you will satisfy our deepest hunger, our deepest need. And once it is satisfied, it is satisfied once and for all forever. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. I pray for anyone here today that has that challenge, that they would remember that Father, whatever they're going through, it's a faith-testing time. And that they would know that little is much when you're in it. And that, Father, that you will bring the increase so that, Father, they can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.